you're listening to the Primary Medicine Podcast with Kevin and Dimitri, bringing you the best in primary care CME that you can use in your everyday practice. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Primary Medicine Podcast. I'm Dr. Dimitri. Today, I wanted to talk about a medication and actually a couple of studies that I think have gone under the radar with all the insanity and regarding the COVID epidemic. But it's it's a couple of studies I think potentially will change your practice and change my practice and change our practice. And it has to do with a old, really old medication called colchicine. In fact, this medication has been in different forms used for centuries. I think I was looking a bit on its history and it's derived from the from the plant called autumn crocus and that was used in ancient Egypt for treating rheumatism and swelling. So again, as you well know, colchicine is a very potent inflammatory. Well, this drug may have some really good effects or may, ha- may be used to great effect in both primary and secondary prevention of cardiovascular disease. It's really important, again, that we have a clear definition of what I mean when I say primary prevention and secondary prevention. So primary prevention, we are talk, we are trying to intervene with a, with a procedure or medication before the disease occurs. So in this case, the disease being cardiovascular disease. So we're, we're trying to prevent the formation of symptomatic plaque in the heart vessels or the, you know, the peripheral vessels as well. And, and the way we mostly do that nowadays is we do it through interventions such as blood pressure control, control of your blood sugar if you have diabetes, control of your cholesterol if your cholesterol values are abnormal. And of course, uh, other lifestyle changes such as smoking cessation, that being the most important, uh, diet and exercise. In fact, these, if, if, you, if you know how to calculate the Framingham risk or the cardiovascular risk, you, you, would, you know these by heart. You know that this is the way we can decrease the risk. So that's primary prevention. When we talk about secondary prevention, we're trying to reduce the impact of the disease. So the, p- the, the patient already has the disease. So they already have clinically significant blockage. For example, perhaps they did a, a calcium score scan or they did a, a stress test or an echocardiogram and, and you've noticed that there's already disease there. They already have cardiovascular disease or blockage. Well, what you're trying to do in secondary prevention is, 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 give, is use an intervention which will decrease the chance of this disease progressing to an end point such as a heart attack or a stroke. So prior prevention, you're trying to decrease the chance of progression to having cardiovascular disease. Secondary prevention, you're trying to decrease the chance of this cardiovascular disease having a significant endpoint such as stroke or MI. Hopefully that makes sense. So now that I've defined what primary signal prevention is, let's go back to colchicine. Again, an old medication has been used as an anti-inflammatory for centuries, really. Currently, what we're using it for is a very inflammatory condition such as gout, Mediterranean fever, pericarditis. Those those are the big ones uh, that we use it for. We know it's a very potent anti-inflammatory. We may not know the mechanism exactly, but it seems to have effect on expression of inflammatory markers such as cytokines. So it is an effect on the actual protein production in the cell. It's decreased. It, it's really fascinating. Okay, so it's an anti-inflammatory, and it prevents inflammation. Well, the thing about cardiovascular disease, and this is why we think colchicine is effective, is that it's a very pro-inflammatory condition. 
If you look at the formation of atherosclerosis, all the phases of formation, from formation to, to blockage to rupture, right, are very much inflammatory. So if you look at a stable plaque, there's chronic inflammation within it. If you look at a plaque that's ready to rupture, there's more active inflammation. In fact, it is the active inflammation that will cause the rupture of the plaque. So you have cochicine, which is a potent anti-inflammatory, and then you have an inflammatory condition such as cardiovascular disease. So wouldn't it make sense that cochicine might actually work in decreasing progression of cardiovascular disease? And it seems that it does. There were, there were a total of seven trials looking at the effect of cochicine on primary and secondary prevention. Four of those were secondary prevention, and three of those were in primary prevention. If you look at the primary prevention trials, they were all observational. Okay, They were actually done in a, a population of people who are taking cochicine for gout. And their endpoints in all those trials was MI for all of them and stroke 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 and TIA for one of them. And then you have the four studies which looked at secondary prevention. Those were a lot more rigorous because they are randomized control trials. They had a bigger sample size. In fact, with primary prevention, the, the biggest sample size is about 1,000. Whereas for the secondary prevention trials, the biggest one was about 7,000. So quite a bit, quite a few more patients. And the city population was, was mostly in people that had either stable angina or post-MI or had had a heart attack. In that case, the outcomes they looked for in this population was, there were actually quite a few, but generally looking at MI and cardiovascular death. So those are the, 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 the seven trials. Again, four of them were secondary prevention. Those were RCTs, so rigorous. And three of them were for primary prevention, which were observational, so a bit less rigorous. And before we go through the results of the trials, I think, again, it's important that we define um, the, one of the outcomes, which most of them use, and that's the hazard ratio. So hazard ratio is the way it's calculated. And I guess the best way to explain it is to tell you how it's calculated. Is you, it, you're dividing the number of events that happens in the intervention group. So in this case, the number of MIs, for example, over the number of events that happens in the control group. So if a hazard ratio is 0 0.5, what that's telling you is that half as many patients in the treatment group are experiencing an event compared to the control group. If the hazard ratio is one, what that's telling you is the event rates are equal. If it's two, then twice as many patients taking the medication have had an event compared to those that were not taking it. So that's an issue. You don't want a medication that, that has a hard ratio of two. So for example, if I say, the hazard ratio of this medication is, is 0.77. Specifically what I'm saying, saying is that people were about 33% less likely to die or to have a, an event compared to the placebo group. All right, so that makes sense. You want a hazard ratio that's lower than one. And, and if you look at the trial, so let's go with the primary prevention, uh, the three trials of primary prevention. Again, most of them looking for, in this case, the hazard or the intervention or the, the event being an uh, myocardial infarction. That's the event they're looking for. The hazard ratios are about 0 0.5. 
So people taking colchicine, this was low-dose colchicine, 0.5 milligrams, were 50% less likely to get an MI compared to those that weren't. If you're looking at the secondary prevention, the hazard ratios are very variable. In fact, they go up from anywhere 0.33, which is in the smallest study, to about 0.77, which is in the largest study, the COCOT. And COCOT actually was done in Canada. It was done in Montreal. And again, what's that telling you? In the COCOT study is telling you that people taking cochicine are 30% less likely to get uh, complications such as cardiovascular death. So hopefully, that may, hopefully that makes sense. Another way to look at these numbers, which I prefer to be frank with you, is the numbers needed to treat. So I looked at some of the trials, specifically the, the primary prevention trials, because the data was easier to access. And, and I made a calculation to see what the NNT was for cochicine in primary prevention specifically. This is just an, as, as, as an example. So in the largest trial, which, is the, which had about, again, 1,000 patients, actually about 1,300 patients, the 5.5% of users of cochicine had an MI compared to about 16. This translates to a nominated treat of about 10 to 15. And if you do that calculation for the other trials, it varies between 10 to 100. So it varies. But it's quite similar. If, you, if you've done the, the math and if you've done the Framingham calculations and if you've, if you've seen what the NNTs are for statins and hypertensives, I mean, that's pretty similar to statins in some cases. And in the best case being 10. And it's in the worst case, it's quite similar to antihypertensives, being about 50 to 100. And it certainly is much better than aspirin. So again, that's another knock for aspirin in primary prevention. I, I feel horrible for, for, for having knocked it in a few podcasts back, but it seems that aspirin has no good role to play in primary prevention currently and may be, and is being dethroned in some ways by, by cochicine. And that's what's important here. Focusing back to prime prevention, and again, the studies are less rigorous, they're observational, but they're intriguing enough that I think they need to be followed. So for prime prevention, when you want to, to give them, you look at the criteria for what type of medication is good for uh, primary prevention use, for use in primary prevention. There's four criteria that you want to try and satisfy, maybe not all at the same time, but one of them is you want it to be effective in low-risk populations. Again, the studies looked at people with gout, which generally may be a bit higher risk than the average person, but they're not high, high risk, like people that have no cardiovascular disease. They have to be safe over long-term use. We know that cochicine is safe. I mean, it has side effects, certainly. Uh, we all know that given, having prescribed it for gout, it can cause nausea, it can cause diarrhea, and the rate is about 10%. But those side effects... And again, it depends on the patient, right? I mean, you have to talk to your patient, and some patients may find those side effects debilitating. In that case, you stop it. But in most cases, people can tolerate the, uh, the side effects if they do happen. So it's safe over long-term use. It's inexpensive. Again, cochicine is, is a very old medication. It is very much inexpensive. It is very much... Um, in fact, it's, it's, most, it, it's covered. In, in Canada, it's covered by the... Uh, by most insurers, by most, by most of most provincial insurances, and the last criteria being it's easily accessible. Again, cochicine is easy to access. It's not a uh, drug. It's not a drug that's experimental. It is. It can be easily accessed, easily produced. So cochicine does, in fact, check most of those criteria. Effective and lowest populations, very likely. Safe over long-term use, again, very likely. We have the data. Uh, the data to prove this, it's inexpensive and it's easily accessible. So, so 
I guess that's what I'm getting to is that it, it's it's exciting to see because again, in terms of prime prevention, forget about secondary for a second. We haven't had much to help decrease cardiac risk for many years. Like again, the medication that do work, we know very well are the statins, diabetic medication, diabetes, and nitrohypertensives. There's a slew of other ones, but they don't work nearly as well. And colchicine may be one of those. It may be one of the medications that becomes a go-to medication for people who are at risk for cardiovascular disease. Because again, it's it's inexpensive, it's accessible. I'm I'm actually convinced, and I, I talked to to my colleagues about this, but I'm actually I'm actually pretty sure, and, and I've talked to to colleagues about this, but I'm pretty sure that like that very likely colchicine will make guidelines in the future it will probably be used and it might even i I don't know i you never know the future i could be completely wrong and again these these are only seven studies and the prime pressure studies are not nearly high quality as the secondary prevention but i'm pretty sure that that this will be like a go-to medication for cardiovascular disease prevention just like a stat maybe you know a cmf prediction is right I will have to reevaluate in the next couple of years and do a podcast about it. Hopefully it's right, but we'll see. We'll see. You can never be sure of anything, right, in medicine. Things change so fast. So hopefully this is helpful, and we should have something for you. Uh, again, we have a special guest talking about financial health in the next, the next month or so. Take care. <laughs>